I, I could talk about foster care adoption forever, so let me just say this. I'm not supposed to say anything about it. I was supposed to move on and just preach, but I can't. Um, 2011, a good friend of mine in Oklahoma City and the director of DHS uh, Faith-Based Initiatives drove up to Tulsa, and I'll never forget, they met in our office. This is when our office was right above the Brook Restaurant down here in, in Brookside where we officed for several years, and they sat there and they said, we think the church is the answer to this problem that we have in our state, and it's a problem. It's a big problem. He's like, we, our, our shelters are over capacity. We want you to lead the effort here in Tulsa. This is 2011. We launched our church in 2010. We're like 130 people, right? In Tulsa, that's really, really small church. <laughs> and I just looked at him and said, we have like zero influence. We're brand new, and we're like, well, if, if God's put this on your heart, would you say yes? And I remember in the years to come, people in our church you know, Molly Meyer, Amber, part of this. We would literally have staff meeting. Jim was a part of this. We would go after staff meeting to churches in the city of Tulsa, and we just said, hey, would you join us in this cause? And everybody was like, it's a great cause, but no, we've already got enough to do. And I remember in a couple years, we maybe had four, five, six churches join us in this cause. How many know things start really small, right? And to think that now in the city of Tulsa, we have 250 churches working together, in the state of Oklahoma, we have thousands of churches. We just, we just opened the 53rd county in Oklahoma with the care portal. I remember a few years ago when we went to the first county. We were in Tulsa County, in Oklahoma County, then we opened Cleveland County. To think that in a couple years, we will have every county in Oklahoma. I'm just telling you, the legacy of City Church, I believe is church planting, one of our greatest legacies, churches that are planting churches, and I believe what we've been able to do in foster and adoptive. I truly believe that. And I just want to say thank you to you for being a part years ago of ground level of something that's truly, truly been transformative. It really is, is an absolute work of the gospel. And I just want to continually remind you and say thank you for your yes. Amen? Let me also say this. Yeah, give God a hand. Really good. Uh, Stand Sunday happens to actual fall on uh, Veterans Day weekend as well, so we want to stop for a minute and say, honor all of our veterans in the room, thank you for your service. In fact, if you have served in any capacity, would you just stand to your feet real quick in this room? We want to honor you for a second. You know, several of you here. Yes. I want to say thank you to you, all of your families, the sacrifices that you make for us. Uh, we honor you this weekend and today. Uh, this morning, we're going to jump into Streams of the Desert as we're getting towards the end of this series. Believe it or not, we're about to start our, uh, the Christian calendar. Advent starts in a few weeks, leading us up to Christmas. How did it get here so quick? I don't know. But here we are. This morning, I want to talk about this idea of slowing. Streams in the Desert has been we are walking in the desert, and we're dry, and we're weary, and Jesus invites us to come and drink from the stream of life, the well of life. I don't know about you, but here's the conversation I have with a lot of people almost every week when I sit down with them and I just, you know, how's life going? What are you doing? What are you up to nowadays? And inevitably, here's what comes out. You know, things are good. I just find myself in a time and a season where I'm just incredibly busy. Just incredibly busy. Almost like I'm kind of captive and powerless to change anything about it, and I don't really want it, and it's overwhelming, but what do you really do? It's just busy. Here we are talking about this concept of slowing and Sabbath, and it just happens to fall on our women's Sabbath retreat, who we had 75 women this week, some who are still there, some who came back on retreat at New Life Ranch. I preach on this topic every one or two years 
because I believe it's that important, and I believe the church is struggling with it. If we don't understand this concept, let me tell you, we will get stuck in a cycle and a system of death. I don't have to stand up here today and convince you that we live in a world that worships busyness. We wear busyness like a badge of honor sometimes, right? We feel powerless to change it. We just, we're conditioned to, to, to every second of our life, we fill it with something. And, and sometimes we wonder why we're like these travelers, journeyers, wandering into, wandering into the desert, dry and thirsty. It's because you simply weren't created to live this way, and yet we've normalized it in our world. Work, hobbies, clubs, extracurriculars, trips, kids, events, church, all of the things that we fill our life with. And let me just tell you, and you already know this, but I'm going to remind you anyway. As a follower of Jesus in 2023, if you are not intentional about slowing, if you're not intentional about developing Sabbath rhythms, you will get sucked into a culture and system of death that will value productivity and busyness, and it will destroy your soul. And guess what? There's nobody to blame but you. I even tell our staff this sometimes. If, if you're overwhelmed with life because you haven't renewed and Sabbath and rested well, you can blame everybody else, but at the end of the day, you allowed it to happen. You're the gatekeeper of your life. You allow things in and out. You have the ability to say yes or no. You determine your schedule, right, to some degree. Let's start from the beginning. Genesis chapter one, verse 31. It says, God saw all that... Had made, he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, say it with me, he rested. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm literally reading scripture and I stop and think to myself, if somebody had made this story up, this would not, not be the story they would have made up. If you're gonna write about a God, you're gonna write about a God who, who is powerful, who overcomes, who, who takes, you know, who, who, who conquers and all of these things, you do not write about a God who rests. <laughs> Nobody writes about that. And yet here we are. Stop and think about the implications of just Genesis chapter one for a minute. We serve a God who stops, who rests, who savors, who enjoys. God is not a workaholic. God is not endlessly anxious about the functioning of creation. God doesn't endlessly work or strive 24 seven. God actually practices us, his people, to call what he embodies and what he lives. God establishes a creation rhythm for life. If creation is the inhale, then rest is the exhale. This is the creation rhythm that God establishes, right? You produce, and then you rest. You receive, right, and then you give. It's this creation rhythm. You labor, and then you rest. God gives us this creation rhythm of work and rest, and both are designed by God. You were designed to work, amen? 
You were designed to be a part of a functioning society for the flourishing of humankind. It doesn't matter what you do with your job, you are a part of human flourishing if you do something that, wor that works towards humanity and has purpose, and everybody in this room does that. You were created to rest. You were created to withdraw. So Genesis gives us this creation story. You remember at the end of Genesis, we have the story about Joseph, and Joseph goes to Egypt, and now he's second in command. So the beginning of Exodus, we find ourselves, the people of God, the Israelites, are now in slavery under Pharaoh. That's the story we find ourselves in. And while God has established a rhythm of rest, Pharaoh rules under this tyranny of work and production and success. In fact, we can go back and scripturally kind of prove that Pharaoh was an anxious person. He was endlessly anxious. Genesis 41 tells us that Pharaoh would stay up at night. He had nightmares and dreams of anxiety where he would dream of famine and not having enough. And we know that Pharaoh believed his greatness was only a result of what he produced or what he built. So Pharaoh went on this, this just massive building project where everywhere he would go, he would build temples and, and cities. And he believed his greatness was tied to what he built. So as a result, there was this frantic productivity that drove the entire Egyptian system. He would give the Egyptians and the Israelites these insatiable quotas that could never be met to the point where they, they literally couldn't keep up. They couldn't do it anymore. So in Exodus chapter five, what we have, Moses is going to Pharaoh. He's saying, let my people go. But he says, at the very least, allow us to travel three days into the wilderness, into the desert, so we can worship God. Let us at least get away for a season so we can return to worshiping Yahweh, look what Pharaoh says in Exodus chapter five. He says, lazy, that's what you are, you're lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. This is not what God had envisioned in Genesis one. Now we know Genesis one happens, Genesis three happens, and now in Genesis 1, God designed us to work, but how many know work was not toilsome? It wasn't hard. It, was it wasn't difficult. Because of the fall, now it becomes somewhat difficult. But then Pharaoh takes it to this whole other level where now there's no rest. There's no Sabbath. Now you are what you do. And if you can't keep up, you just work harder and harder and harder. Pharaoh defines really the systems of this world. It's what we find ourselves in. In fact, if we were to compare these systems for a minute, here's Pharaoh's system. It's a system of restlessness and anxiety. It's a system of acquisition and a pursuit of more. It's never enough. Pharaoh's system is a system that abuses others for gain. I don't care what it takes to get there. We're going to get there at any cost, even if we have to trample on people to get there. How I many know there's a lot of businesses, corporations, organizations that run that way? As long as we're successful, we'll use anybody we have to use to get there. Pharaoh's system is a system that's never satisfied, it's never content, there's never enough. You don't ever get to that place, right? Here's Yahweh's system. Yahweh's system is a system of work and Sabbath, of work and rest. It's a system of trust and faith. It's a system that elevates love to the highest quality, so we don't use people to get to an end result. People are the end result, right? We love people well. We say that all the time around here at City Church, our volunteers. We don't use our volunteers to reach other people. Our volunteers, people are the goal. We wanna love and you and serve you well as you serve others. Yahweh's system is a system that brings true peace and true contentment. When you learn to live in this tension, and it is a tension, and you're always gonna be wrestling with it, and let me tell you, you're never gonna do it perfectly this side of heaven. 
So just give yourself a little bit of grace. And here's what we know about Sabbath. Sabbath is number one, it's countercultural. It is not valued by the world around us. Our world does not teach us how to Sabbath well or rest well. Number two, Sabbath marks our identity as God's people. Here's what God's saying. If you are my people, you will rest because I rest. You will be renewed because that will set you apart. And that's how the world will know that you're my people and, my, and, and, and I'm your God, by how you do this. And then number three, Sabbath is an act of resistance. If you are going to Sabbath well and rest well, it's an act of resistance. You are gonna have to jump out of the boat and at times swim upstream and your friends and family and the people around you will not understand why you do what you do. It's an act of resistance. Now let me, let me tell you what a lot of pastors do and I, I, I try not to do this. They, they stand up here and they rail against why people don't attend church regularly anymore, okay? That's not what this is about. Here's the reality. Over the last 10, 20, 30 years, there's been a massive decline on how often people attend church. Do you remember back in the day, even if you grew up in kids, kids in the church, you went to church like three to four times a week. Like this was the church and everybody's life revolved around it. The average person who's committed to their church today attends 1.8 times a month, less than half. Like it's just changed. Like we know at City Church, like if we make a big announcement, if we do a big push in our executive meeting, we talk about this, we have to do it three weeks in a row to get maybe 70 to 80% of our people to hear it. That's just where we're at. We know most people don't attend every week and we understand that. We don't sit up here and make people feel guilty uh, about not attending church. But here's the reality. I, I truly believe that part of your weekly Sabbath rhythm should be gathering with the people of God. I believe that's very biblical, and I'm preaching to the choir this morning because you're here, okay? <laughs> Some of you online, you're kind of here, you know? <laughs> We're gonna judge all those people that are not. <laughs> Unless they're on the Sabbath retreat, and women's retreat, that's okay. <laughs> that's just the reality of the world that we live in, right? That, that's where we're at with the church. I, I believe it should be a part of your rhythm. Hebrews talks about don't, don't neglect a gathering together. I believe the body of Christ should be a, a regular rhythm where we're together. That's why we do microchurches, because we're not just the big gathering, but a small gathering where you have conversations and, and you just live out life together. But how many know everybody is now competing for this space in your life? Everybody's competing for your attention. Everybody. Everybody's competing for this little space. My mom and dad were not uh, pastors. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a pastor's home. My, my grandparents, uh, I had grandparents that were, but my, my mom and dad, my dad was a businessman, but I just remember very vividly, church is just not something that we do. It, it's, it's who we are. We go to church and we serve. That's who we are. It was in our DNA. It's like, we don't, like, we, we just showed up. I, I can't ever really remember missing church. And we went Sunday morning, we went Sunday night, Monday night was prayer meeting, Wednesday night was youth or kids or Royal Rangers or wherever, Awanas, whatever you grew up in or whatever it may be. And now, to, to be honest with you, like 1.8 times a month, and, and I recognize people that are like, hey, we've been, this service is like now an hour and 20 minutes long, like, and we, we haven't even done communion yet, I'm out, you know? That's, that's, that's where we're, I mean, like literally giving that is, is really, really difficult. What we've tried to instill in our kids is we don't go to church because we're pastors. This is who we are. 
I guarantee you, if I was not the pastor of City Church and I had a different job, my family would be in church every week and we would be serving in some capacity. And I think the greatest thing that our kids can do, and this is just my personal opinion, as a dad, you know what what I want my kids to do every week? I want them to serve. And I just happen to have one of my kids in here. I didn't know she was going to be in here. This is the servant of all servants right here. Anybody know Selah? She is the city kid's rock star back there. She is the one when, when somebody doesn't show up as a volunteer, they put her in there, and she loves kids. And she, Jackson, this morning, my 13-year-old, he was here because he's with the bigs this morning, city bigs. He's a rock star back there. I think that's the most transformative things in their life is what they do back there. I'm telling you, as you raise your kids, put your kids in a position to serve and let them watch you serving I'm just telling you that does something about their heart. There's something when my kids are leading in a capacity with kids that are younger than them that they begin to take ownership of the gospel. They take ownership of their faith, right? But how many know in our life right now, somebody is competing for this space? Last year, um, we, we kind of made a decision. Uh, Jackson's a pretty decent little baseball player, and so if you ever got into you know, like youth sports nowadays, how many know the idol of youth sports is insane? And all the parents are like, mm-hmm. I grew up in competitive baseball, travel baseball. I played for the Dallas Stars Little League baseball team. We had monogrammed everything. I was like 10 or 11 years old, traveling around Texas, playing baseball games like it was life or death. And I, even as a 10 and 11-year-old, I wanted to look at these adults and think, you're pathetic. <laughs> you just got kicked out of this game. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And I just remember growing up, that's, I, I played competitive baseball, but my mom and dad were like, we, we don't miss church. So last year, we, start, we decided to play. So I went on the hunt. I'm like, okay, we got four kids. We pastor, you know, Sunday morning. I got to find a, a coach and a team who understands what we value. Good luck. <laughs> and I remember going to these teams, and, and Jackson's a pretty decent player, so it helps when your kid's pretty decent. And I remember going to these coaches, and I'd be like, okay, um, we don't want to play every weekend, right? We don't want to spend every bit of money that we have on a tournament, and we won't be available Sunday till probably after 11 a.m. He won't, because he's going to go to first service on Sunday. And then on Wednesday night, he'll never be there because he's going to be a part of youth. How many know that begins to narrow the list? Narrows the list. And now we, we finally kind of found that team that, hey, we're going to do uh, probably two tournaments a week, sometimes just, or two tournaments a month, sorry, <laughs> two a week's a lot, yeah. <laughs> One to two a month, and we understand, we'll work around your schedule, we understand what you, what you do, what you value, and so we're a part of this team, and we developed a rhythm that works for our family, and can I tell you the, the doors and opportunities that have been opened because of youth sports for the gospel to go forth have been tremendous, and people understand when I, like last week, was the the, the, the state baseball tournament, and I show up at one o'clock because I'm pastor, and now people who are our parents are like, hey, what'd you preach on this morning? You know? <laughs> Let me know, and I'll, I'll give you the mini sermon right now, right? <laughs> and God has opened these doors. And I know it may not be youth sports for you, but how many know somebody is competing for the space in your life? Somebody. A group, a hobby, a club, friends, family, a job. They're competing for this space. They're competing for your Sabbath and your rest. And they'll take every moment. If you don't establish boundaries, if you don't say no, if you aren't firm in your convictions, somebody will take this space from you. I guarantee you. And I see it happen every week. 
And, and I see parents, and just using sports as an example, sports can be an incredible thing, right? Like, like less than 1% of these boys that are playing baseball are, gonna, are ever gonna play beyond high school, but these parents think like your whole future hinges on this performance. Like last week, Jackson won second in state, and so they, they, they've got these big old championship rings. They seem like they're really awesome, like they're worth thousands, they're worth like $10. <laughs> and you would think that they're worth millions because everybody spends their whole life trying to get that. And I wanna stop and say at the end of the day, does that really matter? Does that really matter? And what does that look like for you to protect that? Sabbath is an act of resistance. Sabbath is an act of resistance. It's saying that I am not gonna allow somebody else to steal what God has designed for me to experience and live in. Let's continue in the book of Exodus real quick, because you, you continue in the book of Exodus, many of you know the story. God actually delivers the people of Israel from bondage. This is the, the, the plagues that fall on, on Pharaoh in Egypt, and they go into the wilderness. But here's the thing about the wilderness. They had been in slavery so long, they didn't know how to be God's people. Slavery was in their bones. It was deep inside their heart. So God's saying, I want you to be my unique, holy people set apart, and they're like, great. What does that look like? So God brings Moses up onto this mountain. He gives them the law. You remember the law was temporary in order to point people to Jesus and say, I'm holy set apart, so for you to be holy and set apart, you've gotta follow these rules. And let me tell you, there were some of the law that's ridiculous. It really was. There's some of the things that you follow and uh, that, 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 that we don't follow today because they were more that time and culture and context, but he gives them this whole law, but part of it is the 10 Commandments. And here's what God is saying. I am a God who rests, Genesis 1, and if you are my people, you will be a, God that, a people that rest and Sabbath. If you remember the Ten Commandments, let me just remind you the first four real quick. Number one was this, have no other gods before me. God is a jealous God. You can't serve other gods and me alone. There's no more polytheism anymore. It's monotheism. It's me and you alone. Number two, God says this, don't make any images or idols. You're not gonna be like the rest of the world that has all these images and idols. If you make an image or idol, I know what you're gonna do with that image. You're gonna worship it. So don't do it. Then he goes on in verse three, don't take the Lord's name in vain or don't misuse the name of the Lord. This is the one that really confused us as a kid because we were like, don't say, oh my God, you know? Really not it. What he's saying is don't misrepresent who God is. Make his name holy. Don't attach God's name to something that doesn't represent who God is. And I'm just gonna be honest with you. You want a good example of number three? Look at politics today. They take the Lord's name in vain almost daily because what they do is they present you their viewpoint then they go to the text to try to find what God says about it and they'll marry the two even if they're not married. Don't put God's name on something that doesn't look like him. He's holy, he's set apart. And then there's number four. Number four is like the black sheep of the, of, of the Ten Commandments. It's the one growing up where you're like, I don't even, is, do we need to do that? Right? Yeah, do we need to do any of that? We're, we're missing an M there, but that should be remember the Sabbath, okay? My, my bad, I actually submit those, so it's my fault. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And that's like the black sheep, because we're just like, that's, that's a Jewish thing, that's the people of Israel, that was that time and place. But here's what's so amazing about, about commandment number four. Did you know it's actually the hinge commandment that all the rest of the five, they, they all rely on? One through three are about God and our worship of him. Number four is about us stopping to be inwardly renewed and rested 
so that we can do five through 10, which is all about how we love others and we respond to others. So guess what? You don't practice number four, you can't do five through 10. And that's what God is saying to his people. He said, you're going to set me apart, you're going to worship me, then you're going to stop in your routine to remember who you are, you're going to be renewed. I think of Sabbath like this, you're constantly being drained, and you're going to stop long enough for your cup to be filled, so guess what? You can go back out and live out the gospel, be the gospel in the world around you. So what happens when we have the people of God who aren't stopping to do number four? We are incapable of fulfilling God's law and commandment of loving him and loving others as we're called to do. Sabbath is not just a time to stop. Sabbath is not just a time to do something fun, even though you might. Sabbath is not an excuse to be lazy. Come on now, somebody needed to hear that this morning. I want you to listen to this part. Sabbath is intentionally slowing our lives in order to give our attention to Christ and allow the Spirit to transform us and renew us. It's intentionally slowing. If you do not charge your phone, what happens to your phone? It dies. We understand that with things in our laptop and our phone. We don't understand that about our souls. And so we just run it as long as it'll go. If you don't stop to plug in your soul, let me tell you, you will live at the tyranny of the schedule and busyness and the people around you, and you will get sucked into a culture of death where you will be this journeyer wandering through the desert saying, why am I so weary and dry and burned out? But you've allowed it to happen. You need to be renewed. I've been able to take several trips to Israel. In fact, we were already planning maybe going April of 2024 like the rest of the world. We're putting that on hold to see how things go. Uh, but back in 2015, 2014, uh, a good friend of mine who's spoken here at City Church before, Moshe, uh, he's a Jewish rabbi that lives in the West Bank. He has an organization that brings Jewish leaders and, and Christian pastors together in a context to grow and to learn from each other. Uh, he's been a huge blessing to my life. He actually came years ago to City Church when we were still at the ballet and spoke on Sabbath to our church, and everybody was just like jaws on the floor the whole time. It was so powerful. But I remember my first trip to Israel was with him. We've taken groups since then. What they do during Shabbat, Sabbath, a lot of times when you're in Jerusalem is a lot of the Christian tour groups go outside of town because it's like the whole city shuts down during Shabbat. But Moshe's like, nope, I want you to experience it. I want you to be enmeshed in the Shabbat experience. And so I will never forget my first time, like Sunday, or excuse me, Friday afternoon, every market is full of people. They're buying food because Friday is the day to cook. And then Friday, as the sun is setting in Jerusalem, it's, it's almost like, cool, eerie, because all of a sudden there's no cars. Everybody stops driving right when Shabbat begins. And remember, we went down to the Western Wall, and we had a time of prayer down there and, uh, with, with the Jewish people. It's just powerful being able to see kind of what the epicenter of uh, the, the religious world is right there. Then we walked about a mile and a half to a family's house who was practicing Shabbat. They had spent all day uh, cooking, and so we sat down around this huge table, and we eat and we eat, and we eat, and we eat, and we eat. And during that dinner, they would stop to kind of retell their story. And this was really cool, because they would stop, and they would lay hands on their kids, and they would just speak prayers of blessings over their kids. And I know, Andrew, you were with me on one of these trips that we did this, and some of you in the room, we did this again our second time there. 
and just got to experience the beauty of nobody's on their phone. Kids can't be on the Xbox. Everybody's gathered around with nowhere to go. And they're present. And you're not in a hurry. And then after that night, several hours later, we walk back to our hotel because you can't drive in a car or anything like that, and we just have conversations together. I remember waking up on Saturday morning and we are, are touring the city and people are taking the leftover food they cooked the day before and they just walk to a friend's house nearby and they just eat again. And then all these kids are playing around. I look at Motion and I'm like, what, what's, what's going on now? And he's like, honestly, everybody's taking a nap. Everybody's taking a nap so the kids just go and play by themselves in the streets and everybody else is pretty much just resting or taking a nap and I'm like, I'm in love with this place. <laughs> Because guess what? In my head the whole time, I was thinking about Sabbath, Shabbat. I'm like, man, all these rules and regulations. And let me tell you, there are stupid rules that they follow. That's, there's no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, I literally left that time, and I'm like, what a blessing. What a gift to stop, to reconnect with each other, to reconnect with God. I saw how the families reconnected during that time because there wasn't distraction. I saw how spouses reconnected. I saw the beauty of these just different rhythms. I want to end with this story this morning. Mark chapter 2. Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through the grain fields, and they begin to pick the, the heads of the grain as they're walking. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law see them doing this, and they get ticked off, because you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. The Sabbath to these Pharisees and teachers of the law had been just this endless rules and regulations, do's, don'ts, all of these lists of things. And look what Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. What do we learn from that? We learn this, the Sabbath is a gift that God has given you, not to limit you, but to give you life and freedom. See, sometimes we as Christians, here's what we do. We take this concept of Sabbath, and we're like, we're under the new covenant. We're not bound to these old traditions of the laws, so we don't need to make it this 24-hour period from sunup to sundown, from Friday night to Saturday night. We're free from that. We don't need to do any of that at all, and we lose it all together. When really, here's what Jesus said. He said, this was not about limiting you, this is not about rules and regulations. He says this, Sabbath was a gift that God has given you. It's a gift in your life. You serve a God that rests. You, you serve a God that savors and enjoys. You serve a God who steps away from productivity and endless like, producing and success just to be and be renewed. A God who loves you a God who wants you to rest, to reconnect, to be renewed. So here's the, here's the thing about this sermon this morning. There's no magical prayer or formula for this. This is one of those sermons, you need to go home and you need to have a conversation with your spouse, your friend, a microchurch. You need to sit down with coffee this week and you need to talk about this in your life. You have to fight for this. And guess what? When you begin to implement certain things into your life, somebody inevitably is going to come to take that space. That's what I've learned. I've learned that the enemy will attack and try to send things to take the space that I give God. 
How do I implement slowing and Sabbath rhythms into our lives? Three takeaways and we're done. Number one, I I believe you have Sabbath moments every day. Every day. A moment. On your drive to work. Before you start your work, 20 minutes, just you and God. Getting away at lunch. A walk. Sabbath moments that are bringing you back to center. Renewing your heart and mind. You want to be present with people? You want to love people well? You want to live with your eyes open, aware of the hurt and the pain and the opportunities around you? Sabbath well. Sabbath well. Number two, you have Sabbath day and times every week. I would love if it was a 24-hour period of day for you. I know some of you this morning, you're like, mm, I don't know if that's possible. Start with a time. Set aside a morning, an afternoon, right? Whatever it looks like for you. And there are seasons of life where this is really hard. It's seasons of life that it gets easier. We had four kids under the age of five at one time. You know how hard it was to Sabbath? <laughs> I get it. You have to work extra hard. My day off now is Friday. Our kids are in school on Friday. It's a time for Lindsay and I to Sabbath. It's a time for us to reconnect with each other where there's not a lot of agenda. For at least that half day or that full day if we can, I'm not checking my emails. If you text me on Friday, I probably won't text you back on that day. Implementing this, intentional scheduling, intentional rhythms. And the third one is this, Sabbath withdrawal or retreat every year. How many know that takes intentionality? It takes intentionality. We're gonna get away to reconnect with God and each other so that when we come back, this can be vacation, this can be a prayer retreat, this can be a time of just disconnecting to reconnect with the right people. What does this look like for you to Sabbath well? Do you stand to your feet with me across this room? the image that we have in this series. We are weary travelers journeying through life. And Jesus invites us to come and drink from the well of life. I believe God is saying to us through his scripture, I'm a God who rests. As my people, you should be a people who rest. Maybe you leave with this question that you wrestle with with somebody else this week. What are intentional rhythms of renewal I need in my life daily, weekly, annually that renew me physically, spiritually, emotionally so that I can love God and love others well. Amen? Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word that speaks truth to our hearts and lives. God, we thank you that you loved us so much you did not put us in this endless cycle of death where it's just production and work, Father, but you are a God who rests and you call us to stop and just to trust you and rest in you and be renewed. And Father, we step into that rest this morning. We thank you. We thank you for what you've given us and we just prepare our hearts to receive you today in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.